betrayal. It's one of the worst blows a new fledgling movement can experience. How did our first brothers and sisters who decided to follow Christ deal with the problem of the missing twelfth man? And what should we do when we feel betrayed and filled with fear? Let's join our study leader, Dave Wurtzen, and find out in Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. Jay had all the markings of success. He was trustable. He was gifted. He had charisma. He had perseverance. He was a good communicator. He was so trusted by the band of brothers that he became a part of that they gave the books to him. And they had him keep track of all of the money. They had kind of a a one person. This guy took care of that. Jay would constantly bring before the men all of the needs that the poor people had. When it was time to give money or alms for the poor, Jay was the one that said, hey, we need to remember this. I mean, if ever there was a guy that was chosen, if ever there was a guy that had incredible potential, Jay was it. In fact, His master that was leading this group actually prayed all night long before he chose him. And then as he spent this more than three and a half years walking with his master and with the other band of brothers, and as they were sent out, this guy could do incredible miracles. I mean, he was one of the most trusted people in this band until one night. They were eating dinner... And their master was giving all of these incredibly powerful instructions when suddenly, right in the middle of the meal, the master said, one of you is going to betray me. Now, they're all lying down on their left elbow so that they can reach in and eat the meal with their right hand. And so they're right there by each other's head. So around the circle, you hear these whispers, is it I, is it I, is it I? The master actually reached in, he took a piece of unleavened bread, and he said, I'm going to dip this piece of unleavened bread, and the the person that I give this dipped bread to, that's the betrayer. The master took the bread, stuck it in the Passover. It was kind of like a relish dish that was part of the bitter herbs that reminded them of the struggles they had in coming out of Egypt. And then he handed that morsel to Jay. The text says that he went out into the darkness. By now, you've all determined it's Judas. Judas is the ultimate betrayer in all of history. But you've heard the story so many times that, that it's really hard for you to feel it, but I'm willing to bet that there's some of you today that have been part of a group, a part of friends. Maybe you're all on the same football team. Maybe you were all cheerleaders together. Maybe in college you were part of a fraternity. Maybe in your business you had a close-knit group that was welded together in a group and then you're betrayed. I want you all to stop and think about it as you look back upon your life. Have you ever been betrayed by someone that you totally trusted? That's one of the biggest blows that anyone can ever face. What do you do when you're betrayed. What's going to happen when you feel betrayed, you're going to feel like it might happen in a church, like someone that you trusted as a leader, someone that was your Sunday school teacher, somebody that might have been your pastor, whatever it might be, as you look back over your life, they betrayed you. They proved to be unfaithful. They proved to be someone you couldn't trust. 
That's what the early church had. Judas actually was the bookkeeper. He was the one that kept all the funds for the disciples. And yet the whole time, he would tell them they needed money to give to the poor. He had his fingers in the till. He was stealing from Jesus' disciples' treasury. When he went to the high priest for 30 pieces of silver, Judas was willing to sell his master and then to have him executed. That is as bad as it gets. So what I want you to know, we're going to talk today about the worst betrayal that ever happened in history. It's much worse than any betrayal that you've ever experienced. And I want to teach you, when you've been betrayed, you're going to feel angry, you're going to feel disappointed, you're going to feel frustrated, you're going to have tremendous temptation to want to hole up. But I want to teach you today what the early church did And I want you to feel a little bit, as this movement is beginning, Jesus is ascending into heaven. He's promising he's going to come back. They're told to go back to Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit's been giving. In this in-between time, which is about 10 days from the time that Jesus ascended to the time when the Holy Spirit came, they're in an upper room, and there's a great big glaring hole in their group. Dr. Luke, that wrote the book of Acts, gave the original 12 disciples. If you look at Acts chapter 1, you'll see another list. It says in verse 12 of Acts chapter 1, it says, Then they returned to Jerusalem. They're returning from the Mount of Olives, which is about a Sabbath day journey, which is that the the Jews had laws about how far you could travel. It's about 1,500 stadia that come from uh, the old city of Jerusalem have actually made this walk. You can be in the whole city of Jerusalem, and you can go to the top of the Mount of Olives to the east, and that's about as far as you were allowed to go on the Sabbath so that you wouldn't carry on business. And so it's a Jewish context. The disciples come back from the Mount of Olives, and when they arrived, what did they do? They went upstairs to, to the room where they were staying. So they go to this upper room, and it says those present, and it tells us who's present. Look at it. It says Peter, John, James, and Andrew. Those are the big four. Then you have Philip and Ptolemus and Bartholomew and Matthew, James and Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, who was part of the political group that joined the disciples of Jesus and that protected him because this is the group that rebels later on about 62 AD and then is crushed by the Romans. So they had one of those guys that joined the original disciples and Judas, the son of James. And in the book of Luke, you read Judas Iscariot. But in Acts, there's no Judas Iscariot. And that's what this text is going to talk about. It's like this glaring missing link. The 12th man is missing. How are we going to replace this 12th man? We read in verse 14, they all join together constantly in prayer. I want you to see that. They join together, and as they join together, what did they continually devote themselves to? They devoted themselves to prayer, and I want all of you ladies to read the next part. Among the women, along with the women, and Mary, this is the last, the mother of Jesus, this is actually the last time in the sacred scripture that we have a reference to Mary, and here we had in the early chapters of Luke, for all of you young girls, Mary presented as the ultimate Israelite woman, the woman that was obedient to the Lord, and now here after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, we have Mary gathered together with the other believers, not someone that is going to intercede for you, but she is interceding with all the other disciples, and that's very important for you to set Mary up, not as someone that's going to get you into God, but someone that's a great example of a model disciple. That's the way she's presented. 
in the scripture. We also have uh, his brothers with him. During Jesus' earthly ministry, James and Jude, who were two of Jesus' brothers, his brothers and sisters, did not respond to his ministry. But we're going to find out later on in this book that his brother James becomes the leader of the first century church. And now, after the resurrection, Mary and Jesus' physical family that was born to Mary and Joseph, the most natural way to take this in, the, in the, the meaning of the words, that were born to Mary and Joseph after Jesus, the firstborn, was born, they've now joined the disciples. What are they doing? They are praying. The very first thing I want to talk to you about today is what do you do when you feel betrayed? What do you do when you feel weak? What do you do when you feel like we're just 120 and there is a world full of problems? We can't make it. The early church doesn't have a chance, and either do we. And one of the things that Dr. Luke, all the way through the book of Acts, is going to do, this is our first time we're introduced to it, is this early band of followers of Jesus, when they're facing crisis, when they're facing disunity, when they're facing this terrible problem, how in the world could we do anything when one of our original 12 turned out to be a skunk? He turned out to be a traitor. He turned out to be someone that just lived for money. How can we ever make it when Jesus discipled him for, for three and a half years, the greatest disciple that ever lived, and he turns out to be a betrayer? The early church had tremendous problems. They had tremendous credibility problems. What did they do? They prayed. That's what I want you to learn to do. And that's what I need to learn to do. As a body of Christ and with your individual family, with your church family, when you feel that there's been betrayal, when you feel like there's tremendous problems, when you feel that there's a lack of power, when you feel that there is struggle, when you feel disunity, that's what the early church was experiencing. They didn't have a ghost of a chance. What did they do? They huddled together. They didn't hold up, which is all that you're tempted to do. When you're hurt, when you're angry, when you feel helpless, Satan will do everything he can to make you hold up like a wounded animal. The Lord wants you to huddle up, and he wants you to pray. I went to college in the late 60s and the early 70s. Those were the times at Cornell University, all the students decided Everything's relative. The teachers don't know anything more than we do. So they took over Cornell University, one of the Ivy League schools. Just west of where I went to school at Kent State in Ohio, they had to call in the National Guard and a young student got killed. It was bad. There was tremendous rebellion, big movement on the university campus. I went to a Christian college. The president of our school when he started was the youngest college president in America. Incredibly gifted scholar. When I went to school, he was near the end of his tenure, and he was really struggling to understand young students, especially us students of the 60s, which generated tons of issues for America even today. So what did we do? We huddled in our room. Did we pray? No. We rebelled. We spoke against the leadership. We spoke against the professors as if we knew more about history and English and math and calculus and chemistry than they did. It was crazy. We huddled up to criticize and to destroy, and our president resigned. He resigned. 
Because instead of producing a place of unity and of togetherness and of humility, we were arrogant. And that's one of the very first things the early church is telling us in the book of Acts. This 120 has just been commissioned to witness in Jerusalem. They don't have a ghost of a chance to do that. The leaders of Jerusalem just crucified their Savior. The Romans are watching them like crazy. They can't do that. Then they're told to go to Samaria. They have terrible racial struggles. They can't get, get along in their own band, not along trying to get a, along with people that they hate their guts. And then their masters commission them, I want you to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. I want you to lay the foundation of a movement that in Midlothian, Texas, there's going to be hundreds of people that are going to gather and they're going to believe just like you. They don't have a ghost of a chance to do that. But they did it. How did they do it? They didn't hole up. They huddled up. And they huddled up not to criticize, but they prayed. And that's what I want you to do in your families. I want us to do it in your Sunday school classes. I want you to do it in your small groups. I want you to do it in your businesses when you have groups of believers. Whenever you feel like we're not going to make it, that we're too weak, and there's been tremendous struggles and conflict. If you pray, you devote yourself to united, committed prayer. Now, the second thing that happens as you do that, and as you pray, and the early church was praying, Lord, how do we solve the problem of the 12th man? How do we wrestle with betrayal? How are we going to fill in this hole? Peter, the apostle, stands up, and it says, in those days, Peter stood up, look at verse 19, and the believers that grouped only about 120 said, brothers, and you ladies would all be included in that, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of our servant David, concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. So notice Peter's being totally honest about the history. That's what I want you to feel. As you read this text, Peter stands up, and he fully realizes, and he brings them back to the night in Gethsemane. Judas was the one who guided the soldiers that arrested Jesus, that brought him to trial, that ended up putting him on the cross with the Romans. This is bad. Peter fully exposes that. He says, this man stood as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of the number. He was one of us. The idea there is he was one of the chosen ones. Judas should have been the 12th man. He was the one that should have been, he should have still been with them, but he wasn't. It says here also that he shared in this ministry. So something you need to understand, you can be sitting here today, you might have taught a Sunday school class, you might have just got through teaching one. You might have even been able to go to the hospital and pray for people and incredible powers of witness take place and people are touched by your life. The incredible story about Judas is he was one of the 12 that went out and was commissioned by the Lord. No one would have ever guessed that Judas wasn't generally a father of Jesus. But he wasn't. He partook of the ministry, but he did not partake of the Savior. The Lord can use a jackass. He can use Judas. The fact that God's Spirit uses you does not mean that your heart is trusting in Jesus. In John 13, Jesus, when he cleanses the disciples' feet, he tells when Peter says, you need to wash all of me, not just my feet. Peter said, Jesus said, no, Peter, I don't need to wash all of you because you are clean. And then he adds a little line, but not 
all of you. Because Judas never let Jesus cleanse him. So that's a very powerful thing I want all of you to understand. Judas, no one on the outside would have ever guessed, but the Lord looks deep in your soul. And what Peter is exposing is he's exposing the heart of this man. What did Judas do? It says, with reward of God for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong. His body burst open, and all of his intestines spilled out. And everybody in Jerusalem heard about this. So they called the field in their language, Akaldama, which is Aramaic, which means the field of blood. Dama means blood. Akel in uh, Aramaic means the field. So everybody heard this story. Now, the book of Matthew tells us that Judas threw the coins back to the priests, the priests gathered the money together, but they couldn't use it because it was blood money, so they bought a field. So when you, if you go to college and you have a study on this, you'll say, hey, the Bible's totally an error. Now, in order for me to say, well, the Bible's an error, what it means is that I, as a critical scholar, know a lot more about this whole situation than Luke, who was talking to eyewitnesses that actually experienced the event, so that I make it a big dichotomy. The book of Matthew tells us that Peter went out, threw the money changer, threw the money back, cried like crazy, had remorse, and then he hung himself. The book of Acts tells us that he bought a field with the money, and then he fell into a ravine, and all of his guts spilled out. Is that totally antithetical? Those of you that are detectives know when two eyewitnesses give you exactly the same report, it means it's a lousy report. It means they're not telling you the truth. They got together. If you have the same incident and you have two perspectives on it that can be blended together, that's going to be reality. And you decide in your own heart whether I think I know more about what happened in the first century than the writer of the scripture. What I think happened is, it, Luke is right. It was... Judas Iscariot's money. The priests never did. It's a very subtle thing. They never claimed to have the money because that would implicate them. So it was Judas's money that bought the field. So they would say, yeah, he bought the field. The guy is such a failure, he can't even hang himself well. He hangs himself. It slips and he falls down and busts his whole guts open. Those of you that like to watch gruesome movies, right here in the scripture, it's a gruesome picture. If you go out this week and you see terrible accidents and everything, you think that had nothing to do with church, you learned at church, this is a bad picture. The R-rated. The guy hung himself, the rope slips, he falls down and spills his gut. You say, what am I supposed to learn from this? Peter wants you to learn. Dr. Luke wants you to learn. If you're sitting here today, if you're living for money, some of you are. You're going to start working on your taxes. Some of you steal on your taxes. No one will ever know. Yes, they do know. Some of you take a little bit. If you have sticky fingers here today, whether you're young or old, I want you to listen really careful to me. That's the way Judas started. And what you're telling me is you worship money and you don't worship Jesus. That if I give you a choice between devotion to your friends or devotion to the Lord Jesus or not stealing and losing your position or losing what you want to have. Some of you steal. Some of you have done it. And I want you to listen. You say, well, I can't serve Jesus. It's too hard. I hear all kinds of people. 
I can't serve Jesus. It's too hard to serve Jesus. None of my friends serve Jesus, and they're all living for other things. And man, you know, I think I am going to live for money. Then listen hard, because Luke told you where it really will end up. If you live for money instead of living for the Savior, if you'll eventually, what will happen is you will lie, and you will steal, and you will betray. And you're going to end up with your guts spilled all over the place. Judas is the ultimate example. This was written at the beginning of the church. Dr. Luke is saying, don't you mess with Jesus. Jesus loves you. He gave his life to die for you. He mentored Judas. But Judas never responded because he loved money. He loved 30 pieces of silver more than he loved the ruler of the universe that was his precious Savior. How about you? How about you? I want to share with you, if as I'm speaking to you, you go, man, I've been stealing, and I've been living for money. Man, am I hopeless? I want you to realize, if you feel that in your soul, there's a really good chance that you're not Judas. If you feel like I need to turn away from that, then the Spirit of God is trying to talk to your heart. He's trying to get you to turn around and not decide to live for those false things. But if you're a Judas, you're going to weep and you're going to whimper and you're going to cry. You might be very emotional, but it's a bunch of baloney. And that's what the text is saying. Judas cried like a baby. But he went out and put a rope around his neck. That's Satan. In fact, I want every one of you to remember this. This story is telling you, if you decided to live for money, if you betray the Lord Jesus, you're going to have very powerful thoughts. I'm just going to end it all. And Satan will convince you that's really a good thing for you to do because you're hopeless. But the guy that's telling us all this betrayed the Lord just like Judas. Peter that was the lead apostle, betrayed Jesus, just like Judas did. Denied him three times. What's the difference? Deep in Peter's soul, deep inside of every one of your soul, there's either a Peter or there's a Judas. Peter, when the Lord called him, came back. And the Lord forgave him, and he became the lead apostle. Judas cried and had all this remorse, but he hung himself, and then he ended up spilling his guts. The other thing I want to I want to warn you, I want to warn every one of you, just the fact that you're sitting here and you say, oh, yeah, I'm part of this. If you're monking around living for money, and if you're stealing a little bit, I can't trust you, then you're on the way. And this morning, the Holy Spirit is trying to pull you back. Please listen. The other thing I want you to see from this text is what the early disciples are wrestling with. How did this happen? How did the God of the universe, Jesus was the God of the universe, he chose this man. How could he ever have done that? And what the text tells us here is Peter's telling us that this was done so that scripture might be filled. The Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas who stood as a guide. He quotes Psalm 69 verse 25, and it quotes Psalm 109, verse 8, 
And Psalm 69 says, Peter says, it is written in the book, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it. So it just says in Psalm 69, there was an enemy of David. And David said his place is going to be lost. The field, in other words, that he buys, he's not going to ever be able to enjoy it. And it says no one will be able to dwell in the field where he bought this thing. Psalm 109, verse 8, spells out another enemy of David or another traitor against David. And it makes this statement, may another take his place of leadership. Now, what's going on? If you go back and look at these psalms, it's why you need to understand that God is running the story. And this is what you're going to decide. Will I trust in money? Will I trust in the way that I think life will work out? Or will I ultimately trust that God is the great author? What Peter is telling those original disciples, I know you're hurt. I know you can't figure out how Judas could have done this. But I want you to know we need to trust the author. Because the author... A thousand years before Jesus came in Psalm 69, told the story of one of the enemies of King David. In fact, if you go back and look at that psalm, there's all kinds of things that David says. In verse 4, he says he was hated without a cause, that King David faced enemies that had no cause, and they were seeking to murder him for no reason. It talks about the fact in verse 9 that he had zeal for God's house. Luke presented Jesus in childhood being in his father's house and having zeal for his house. And then he describes how Jesus cleanses his father's house. So it's giving you hint. This psalm was not just talking about David in his own day. It's like an incredible author that is going to ultimately weave the story because the ultimate story is about the ultimate son of David. And the psalm is building this case. It says in verse 21 in Psalm 69 that he was given poisoned and vinegar to drink. What did they do to Jesus on the cross? In verse 25, it tells us what's going to happen to this man. Their camp will be desolate. That's what the verse that Peter quotes. And then it goes on in verse 29 that David prays that the Lord would deal with him. And his name will be blotted out according to verse 28. What is it describing? The Bible's telling you that God's been predicting. I told you when I teach you about the unity of the Bible, God from the time of Adam and Eve in the garden predicted a great deliverer is going to come. By the time we get to the Psalms, David is the picture of that ultimate deliverer. When Jesus comes, Peter's putting everything together. I look at the events that I experienced with Jesus. And what he realizes is that in this incredibly creative way that the author of history said, the ultimate son of David is going to be rejected. He didn't have an enemy that betrays him and lies about him. But it also said how it was all going to turn out. It says he's going to lose his portion. Psalm 69 says he's going to die. And then Psalm 109 verse 8 says, May his days be few and may another take his place of oversight, which is an incredible insight. What Psalm 109 said is this ultimate enemy of the Messiah had an office, had a place, a position of leadership, but he lost it. That's the tragedy of Judah's life. What I want you to know is nobody in this room can escape God's story. I also want you to know that the scripture presents that Judas made choices, and he was totally responsible for those choices, and I don't know how that all gets together. What it says to me is David listened to God's word. If I'm discouraged by those that betray me as I look back over my life and those that disappoint me, 
I'm able to look at this passage and my heavenly father says, David, don't quit on the cross. Don't quit in the resurrection. Don't stop hoping that the Lord Jesus will return because in the end, I win. The Judas of this world end up with their guts spilled out. And my program will go right on, which is where the passage ends. It says, when you are faced with a betrayer, you need to unite and devote yourself to prayer. Second of all, trust the ultimate author. And thirdly, trust the witness of the resurrection. The passage closes. They complete the 12th man. It says, so they proposed two men. Peter says, therefore, it's necessary for us to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. And he tells us that begins with John the Baptist's ministry until the time that Jesus was taken up in the ascensions, the idea. For one of these must be a witness with us of the resurrection. Some of you have been taught from the time you are kids, the early church made a mistake when they chose Matthias. That's not true. They shouldn't have chose Paul. Paul could not have been a witness to the ministry of Jesus from the time that John the Baptist baptized him to the time he was crucified to the time that he rose again to the time he ascended. Paul wasn't there. And this is really important when you ask me, why should I believe what you're telling me about Jesus? Because there were 12 Jewish guys that had godliness in their life that had honesty in their life. You can read through the book. You can read their writings. Read about what the Apostle Peter says, and you decide whether you believe he tells the truth. What the text is telling you, there are 12 foundational Jews who say, I saw Jesus baptized. I saw him crucified. I saw him resurrected. I saw him ascend to heaven. We are legal witnesses in court. They witness to the resurrection. The way that they chose, because the Holy Spirit wasn't given, was a good Old Testament way. So they proposed two men, Joseph called Barsabas, which means son of the Sabbath, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Both of these men are qualified. They pray, which is where we started out with. They pray again, and they said, Lord, you know everyone's heart. The Lord knows every one of your hearts today. Show us which of these two men you've chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas has abandoned. The ministry is the visitation, the oversight he was supposed to have. They're going to fill in that 12th man, which Judas left to go where he belonged. If you wonder where Judas is, some of you are worried. Will anybody go to hell? I want you to understand. You know who's going to be in hell? If you steal and never turn away from it. If you con and never turn away from it. If you betray the ultimate innocent person, if you're a betrayer, where do you belong? I want you all to understand this, because as Americans, you're all convinced everybody's really good. No, they're not. Not everybody's really good. To be honest with you, we're really bad. And the problem with our culture is we have no idea. Judas was really dark, and he is where he belongs. That's what the text is telling us. And it's a really warning the Lord is telling you today, I don't want you to be a Judas. I don't want you to keep deceiving. Turn away from it. And the incredible thing, God knows everyone's heart. God really wants you to come to salvation. And it said that the lot fell to Matthias and he was added to the 11 disciples, so we now completed the 12th man. In the Old Testament, the way that they did when they had decisions that they had two qualified people, they would put the names in a thing. We had this in the early book of Luke 
When Zacharias is chosen, who should serve in the temple? John the Baptist's daddy was chosen by Lot. It's not the way you'll never find this again when the Holy Spirit comes into your life and he lives in your family life, he lives in your church life. You don't need to cast lots. You just have the Holy Spirit witnessing. He'll bring unity to you as brothers and sisters in Christ. But I want you to know there's nothing in this text up to this time that would say that the early church made a mistake. They completed the 12th man. Why? Because they united themselves in fervent prayer. They trusted the ultimate author. Even when they were faced with a foundational betrayal, they trusted that God was writing a story. And they trusted that if they kept witnessing to the resurrection, they would enter into the most powerful movement. And you're here today, and a whole bunch of you believe Jesus rose again from the dead. And if you believe that, and you live for that, and you witness that, we've only just begun to see the number of transformed lives we're going to see. Let's pray. While our heads are bad and our eyes are closed, have you been betrayed by a Judas and it's tempted you to hold up instead of huddling up in prayer? Let the Holy Spirit pull you back. Maybe he pulled you back this morning and you gather together with your people and you can feel the strength that comes from learning God's word and praying together. During the week at work, you can, you can get with other people that are seeking the Lord Jesus, and you can, I just want you to know you can pray together. If you've gotten away from that, this is a morning to recommit yourself to unified, fervent prayer. When you don't have any answers, when you don't know what to do, there's incredible strength in prayer. If you feel like a Judas this morning, you feel like you betrayed the Lord, if there's a voice inside of you that's saying, but I don't want to do that. I don't want to steal. I don't want to live for things that won't last. I don't want to live for 30 pieces of silver. I really want to live for Jesus. Respond to that Holy Spirit's pull to his voice, and he'll give you strength. He'll give you grace and power because the resurrection power that these early apostles were witnessing to is available to us right now today.